hi, welcome to today's webinar. It's titled, Laying the Foundation for Innovation in Professional Services Firms. I am Mark Graven. I'm the VP of Improvement and Innovation Services for Kinexus. And today I'm very happy to be joined by Karen Skinner and David Skinner, who will be our presenters today. They are the founders of Gimbal, a lean practice management advisory firm that specializes in the legal industry. David has practiced law for more than 20 years in Canada, Europe, and the UK. He spent half of his career in big law and half in senior in-house counsel roles for companies in London and then Montreal. Karen also practiced law for more than 20 years in large firms in Canada and overseas, and then as a solo practitioner focused on corporate finance advisory work, corporate governance, and risk management. And she's also a black belt in Lean Six Sigma. But for the past three years or so, Gimbal has been working with law firms across North America on improving the way lawyers deliver legal services. They teach, write, and speak about lean and the benefits of legal process improvement for law firms and in-house legal departments. And they work directly with their clients on improvement projects that focus on legal processes as well as the business and administrative processes that support the work of lawyers. And maybe more importantly, they are both uh, really interesting, delightful people who uh, I've had the chance to um, to meet and share a couple of uh, meals with, and I'm, I'm really thrilled that they're here to share some of their experience and, and thoughts with us today. So with that, over to you, Karen and David. All right, well, thanks, Mark. That was a great introduction and uh, <clears throat> big shoes to fill. Um, we're gonna talk about innovation in law today and how you can use Lean to support it. Um, innovation is really a surprisingly hot topic in the legal industry. LexTech 16, which was an innovation forum in Canada that took place on the 26th of April, actually was trending on Twitter for four hours. And that is crazy. That is unheard of for a bunch of lawyers sitting around in a room talking about what's new or really not so new. But for all that talking, there's not that much action. Nevertheless, we do see some professional service firms that are looking for new ways to improve the delivery of their services to clients. And those are the kind of firms that we like to target. Those are firms who are genuinely trying something that, at least in the legal industry, is really quite new. So we're going to tell you a little bit about the types of innovations that we are seeing in the legal industry and how lean and this concept of developing a culture of continuous improvement can be used to build a really solid foundation to support these innovations. Our focus in our work is really the legal industry. But a lot of what we see and do in law firms is happening now in other professional service firms too. For example, we see it in accounting firms, in finance, in architecture firms. And lean can be used the same way as this idea of a foundation for innovation in pretty much any uh, knowledge-based industry. So the question that comes up is why is innovation such a hot topic in law? Well, it's a bit of a perfect storm. Technology is developing rapidly, including some fascinating machine learning and artificial intelligence applications that are capable of doing some of the work of lawyers. At the same time, the economic downturn since 2008 has revealed serious cracks in the typical law firm business model. For the last few years, productivity, profitability, and realization in many law firms, big and small, have been down. In fact, in 2015, Growth has been the slowest since the recession in 2008, and all of this gives clients unprecedented say in how they are charged for legal services. Even if things do turn around, clients are, we believe, unlikely ever to give up the power that they now have acquired over fees and go back to what lawyers would consider the good old golden days. Yeah, in addition to the major developments in technology that David was talking about, you've got some other trends that are really having an impact on the whole market for legal services. So there's this idea of globalization, that you can get your legal work done at any time of day, 24-7, around the world. So you've got firms that are looking at and clients looking at the idea of legal process outsourcing, so putting their work in places with um, more cost-effective jurisdictions, sometimes offshore or sometimes particularly we're seeing this in law firms and accounting firms they're moving all of the back office functions to lower cost jurisdictions within the same country so for example in west virginia in um other places central pennsylvania. In, yeah in central pennsylvania they're shifting <coughs> these, these um administrative functions to lower cost jurisdictions 
You've also got mergers, at least in law, that are creating these huge global law firms that can shift work around within their own firm, but to different jurisdictions. You've also got this idea of commoditization. So this is very new in law, the idea that some legal work is really nothing more than a commodity, that routine and repetitive elements of a matter, things like due diligence or document review or um, title verification, all of these things could really be done by anyone. And clients are looking for the best solution at a fair and reasonable price. There's also um, finance and procurement departments that are increasingly getting involved in decisions to hire lawyers. And, and those folks are very driven by the bottom line. And that is having an impact on, again, on how lawyers um, deliver and plan <coughs> their services. And the same is probably true in many other professional service firms. Additionally, uh, organizations are looking for ways to recapture some of the commoditized work that Karen was just referring to that they have lost to lower cost, more innovative competitors. It may be um, routine and repetitive work, but that work can be hugely lucrative. If you find a way to optimize it first, optimize the processes and minimize the waste so that you can maximize value under a recognized brand. And then if you can price it right, you've got yourselves back in the game. There's also a growing trend for general counsel to disaggregate legal work. That is, allocate different parts of transactions and work that has to be done to people and organizations who are best placed to provide the right quality at the right price. And this is a divergence from the past where ten organizations tended to bring all of their work to one, one law firm or one accounting firm rather than figuring out who's best placed uh, to do the work at the right cost. There's also an increasing trend towards excess capacity, certainly in law. Uh, in the US, we're graduating about 20,000 lawyers more a year than there are jobs. And finally, there's the old do-it-yourself or DIY law, which is, you know, we're all guilty of it in the sense that we all, when we've got um, ourselves are feeling sick or our kids aren't well, we tend to consult Google. So Dr. Google is a reality, and so too is uh, online reference to um, legal services. You can get a will now uh, for next to nothing off of the internet. Should we do it? Probably not, but we all do do it anyway. All of these trends are really moving the industry, and they're leading to real debates about the future. People are asking questions like, what should law firms look like? Who should own them? How should strategic decisions about their management be made? And this is actually a raging debate in many common law jurisdictions right now. Also questions about who should be providing legal services and how much of the work can be automated using technology. A lot of these trends, the idea of globalization, commoditization, and technology especially, are having the same impact in other uh, professional service industries, particularly in the big accounting firms. So, these trends are all having a direct impact on law firms, to be sure, and there's a tremendous amount of competition now, and a lot of it is coming from what I'm going to call new entrants, as well as non-traditional providers. Some of these are new types of law firms, often much more virtual and certainly more agile, and some are other types of professional service firms, like the accounting firms that are making significant inroads into uh, the profession of law. Lawyers are facing increasing pressure to optimize all aspects of their operations. And I'm not speaking just of how they practice law, but equally importantly, I'm talking about how they conduct the processes on the business and administrative side that they use to run these multi-multi-million dollar businesses. And we're talking about changing the overall legal services delivery model, the idea is changing so that they can deliver better quality work in less time at less cost, which is obvious to those of you who are familiar with lean and its principles. So there is a pressure to change, but making law firms change is like turning an ocean liner. It's no easy feat. Why is that the case? Well, it, it's really because lawyers are by training very careful, prudent. Uh, we're very analytical and precise. We're trained to look for, uh, look for um, weaknesses and flaws. We're very risk averse. The very qualities that make excellent lawyers are the same qualities that make lawyers terrible innovators. On top of this, you've got a business structure that really doesn't foster any long-term thinking. 
you have an enviable profit per partner ratio, even if it's a little smaller than it used to be. And you have a compensation system that doesn't reward any work unless it can be billed directly to clients. So you get this industry where inertia is huge. There's very little incentive to innovate. But at the same time, you've got this pressure coming from clients. You've got clients who are asking their lawyers, asking their accountants, asking these other professional services to deliver more of that service at less cost to the client. So it's actually a classic opportunity for lean, where you're looking for better quality, better service in less time and at less cost. And add to that, there's all that new competition that we were just speaking about. Now, one of our clients in a niche immigration practice acknowledges that the group's biggest competitor is not another law firm. Rather, it's one of the major four accounting firms that now reign supreme in the world. Accounting firms are now some of the largest legal service providers in Europe, and they're on the same path to do that here in North America. A very close friend of ours is a senior partner with one of the big four accounting firms, and he's made very clear to us that one of his company's objectives is to take as much work as possible away from lawyers. So lawyers are starting to feel this pressure from non-traditional competitors, and these large, profitable, unwieldy organizations are starting to shift. Because of the way law firms are structured, usually as partnerships, so this makes it true of any professional service firm structured as a partnership, is that it takes more than upper management say-so. It's the same for any professional service firm that's partnership-based, accounting, architecture, and even engineering and private medical clinics. Wherever there are partners, there's a dysfunctionality that's really hard to overcome. It requires a phenomenal amount of buy-in and a major attitude adjustment. So to be successful in managing and, and implementing change, people need to change their mindset. They need to adopt a, yes, we could do that if, and not a, no, we can't do that because mindset. So often people, particularly professionals used to doing things in one particular way, will shut down a new idea by saying, well, we can't do that. We can't do that because we tried it last year and it didn't work, or no one would want ever to do it that way. Or, you'll never convince me that what you're suggesting is better than my way of doing things. Or, classic, we can't do that because it'll cost too much money and the other partners won't ever approve it. Professionals need to leave that negative mindset behind. They need to listen to the creative ideas that are coming up from the people who are doing the actual work and not think about why things won't work, but rather figure out what you have to do to make the ideas effective and realistic. Yeah, we had a great example of this just a couple of weeks ago. We were working on a, a week-long process improvement project at a major law firm. A member of the project team came up with a solution that she was absolutely sure the partners would never agree to. However, we encouraged her and we encouraged the rest of the team to think about what they could do to make her proposed solutions work and to leave those ideas up on the map that we had on the wall. When the partners came in and they saw that current state map and the waste that occurred at that point in that current state process, the firm's managing partner signed off on the changes on the spot. And then she took her Sharpie and she signed off on almost every other just do it change the team had suggested. It was absolutely brilliant. So despite all of the reticence and inertia that we say negatively affects professions, specifically the legal profession in this case, the legal profession is slowly being dragged into the 21st century. Some firms are well and truly there already, making interesting changes in the way that they deliver their services, both in the way that the lawyers practice their art and how processes on the business and administrative side of the, of the uh, structure organization are handled. Why are some firms actually making this shift? Well, because there's growing pressure from clients. The fact is a lot of clients are demanding that professionals start running their firms the same way that clients run their businesses. And this is true in law and in many other professions. Clients are actually asking for evidence of efficiency. They want to know up front how much the advice or other work is going to cost. They're starting to use a lot more RFPs, so requests for price or requests for proposal. And professionals are having to compete for work even from existing clients, which at least in law is, is really unusual. Clients are unwilling to pay for things that they used to willingly pay for, like juniors, extra hours, 
Um, disbursements for communications is another one. Large teams of accountants or lawyers or other advisors. And they're demanding a lot more flat fees. Professionals are struggling to figure out how to offer the right fee structure and still make a decent margin. In law, there are developments in machine learning and artificial intelligence, David mentioned, that are nibbling away at what's traditionally been considered the work of actual human lawyers. Now machines can do some of that stuff. Richard Susskind, who's a thought leader on the future of law in England, predicted last month that new developments in artificial intelligence mean we have about five years left to reinvent the legal profession. On the slide that you now see in front of you, are some of the hot innovations that we're seeing specifically within the legal industry. You may be seeing some of the same developments in your profession, but I have put innovation in quotes because for most industries, including possibly some that you're involved in, these would be anything but innovative. This list is also ordered based on popularity. This is typically the order in which law firms think about them and how the trade press talks about the things that you see on the slide starting with knowledge management. Knowledge management is designing and maintaining a database of the documents and precedents and other communications that really are the greatest asset of any knowledge-based profession. It's, it's an innovation in law because many law firms still don't have a good system for capturing the best practices of the firm. So the best form of a contract or the most appropriate way to run a particular transaction and then taking those best practices and sharing them amongst the attorneys. Next on the list is project management. This one is very popular right now in the legal trade press and many firms are deciding they really need project management. It may be hard to believe, but using project management strategies on complicated matters is still not considered the norm in law. Many lawyers resist it because it requires them to think about their work in a very different way, but it is definitely coming. And it's coming because a lot of clients are demanding some transparency in their matters. They want to know where things stand. They want to know how well their firm is sticking to the budget. And on that note, even just requesting a budget is actually pretty revolutionary for lawyers, and we're going to get to that in a minute. The problem is that most lawyers don't think that they need project management. They're already really good at managing their matters, so they believe, and they, they don't miss closings or court deadlines, and they're pretty good at managing complicated matters. It's just that those projects themselves aren't very efficient. So while firm management think that LPM or legal project management will help, Many lawyers see it as an unnecessary burden to have to create and adhere to Gantt charts. Pricing is another biggie. So whether you're in law or in some other professional service firm, a lot of the time billing for time, billing your hours is the norm. And clients are starting to demand alternatives to the billable hour. They want to know the cost up front. They want to pay flat fees or some blend of flat fees and billable time. But mostly the issue is they want to pay for a value of what they're getting and not time. And this one is really tough for professionals who are raised on the idea of the billable hour. Figuring out how to price their services accurately and design pricing models that accommodate client needs and deliver that value the clients are now demanding is definitely an innovation in client service. Finally, down at the bottom of the list, professional service firms might start to think about process improvement. They might start exploring lean to see how they can use process improvement to change the way they deliver their legal services. And here's an editorial comment that perhaps won't surprise you. We think that most people who have created this list and used this list have gone completely wrong. We believe that professional service firms need to start with process and use lean and process improvement to develop a culture of continuous improvement. Continuous incremental improvement, once embedded in a firm, can build a foundation for the larger, more ambitious innovations and change initiatives. In fact, we believe so strongly that Lean can provide the essential basis for performance excellence that we've been working on an exciting strategic relationship that will allow us to offer our clients exactly that. We're developing an integrated approach to innovation, service delivery, and performance excellence by combining strategies that relate to process, to pricing, to project management, knowledge management, and artificial intelligence. We hope to issue a press release in the coming week or two, but we're deep into it. Right now, we're going to have a look at how Lean can be used to build that foundation for two of the main 
innovations, quote unquote, rocking law firms right now, project management and pricing. As I said before, it may seem crazy to consider project management and innovation in client service. Problem is, as I said, many law firms have jumped on the legal project management bandwagon without looking carefully at what they're managing. It's not about delivering on time and on budget. They already do that pretty well, apart from maybe not having very accurate budget. The question clients are really asking is, can they deliver in less time and at less cost? You need to manage efficient projects, efficient processes to get that kind of value. And this movement towards legal project management is closely tied to pricing. Clients are demanding LPM because they want to know what things are going to cost upfront and how long it's going to take at the beginning. And so law firms think that LPM is going to allow them to satisfy clients with some transparency and predictability. And that's true, but without looking hard at the underlying processes, you're not actually delivering any more value to the client. Yes, you're giving them some more transparency and a little comfort on the price up front, so you're meeting some of their needs, but you're still giving them that transaction in, say, I don't know, three days for 100 bucks. The innovative firms are looking at it quite differently. They're the ones who understand the potential of bringing project management and process improvement together. They're saying, we can optimize the transaction first, and if we do that, we'll be able to to offer our services in two and a half days for 85 bucks, still make a good margin, and be more competitive. They are the organizations that are mapping out their cost transactions. They're optimizing them by identifying and then eliminating the downtime wastes, automating where they can, creating pull and better workflow, and they're taking advantage of technology. Only once the matter has been optimized, are they then turning their mind to the project management piece? Seifarth Shaw, a Chicago law firm, and Thompson Hine, another leading US national firm, are great examples of this. Both firms are using Lean and Six Sigma to optimize legal matters, including complex litigation, that area of law which so many lawyers say can't be managed effectively or efficiently because it is filled with too many contingencies and uncertainties. These two law firms are then bringing in project managers once the process that is being managed has been optimized. That is when they define their milestones, assign phase and task codes to track the work. Then they develop an understanding of the input costs because they've mapped and optimized the steps. So, they can be much more realistic as to timetable, milestones, and fee estimates, even in a world such as theirs, which is perhaps yours also, in professional service firms, the pressure and movement is towards flat fees. I guess our point is that together, lean and project management, when combined together, can be extremely powerful. A lot of law firms are still operating on the premise that you'll know what you're gonna have to pay for your extremely expensive legal matter only once you get the bill in the mail or by email. Now, that would be like American Airlines saying, sure, Mark, you can fly from Toledo to Timbuktu, no problem, hop on. We'll tell you what you owe us when you get off the plane. Nobody in their right mind would agree to that. And clients of law firms are finally saying enough of that as well, which brings us to pricing. Law firm mandates are typically billed by the billable hour, like a lot of other professional services. The more hours that are charged, the more the partner responsible will make. Not much incentive, obviously, for less time and less cost under that model, and certainly no incentive at all for removing waste. However, there is a real movement towards flat fees, and as you can see from the slide in the question of law, spending on alternative fee arrangements has surged in recent years. Once attorneys shift from the billable hour to the flat fee environment, the incentive immediately moves towards efficiency. The immigration practice we mentioned earlier is a really great example. Their business is entirely fixed fee, and there's downward pressure on those fees. The work is commoditized, and it's fairly standard, and there's huge competition from non-traditional legal service providers. So we've been working with them, empowering the practice group with some basic lean tools, including looking for those downtime wastes in their practice. For them, the incentive to reduce the internal cost of delivering on each mandate is huge. 
So what we did with them is we mapped out a typical visa process, typical visa application process, and, and worked with them on that one process to eliminate the wasteful steps, to create some poll systems rather than pushing the work through, and to streamline the work. They end up reallocating the work to different levels of resources, and they're working right now on automating many of the steps in the workflow. So when their work on this particular project is complete, they're going to have a much more efficient process that can deliver excellent results for significantly less cost to the firm. They'll be able to adjust their pricing to be better able to compete while still maintaining their margins. Because they can see their process in a map, they also have a much better understanding of their resource use and the actual cost to the firm. This type of information is critically important, and it may surprise you to learn that it's information most law firms just don't have. If you ask the average lawyer what his or her margin is on a transaction, the answer will be a shrug. One innovation that we see more often in law firms now is the hiring of a pricing manager. This pricing manager attempts to help lawyers provide accurate estimates to clients before a mandate. However, these estimates are typically based on what similar mandates have cost in the recent past, rather than on what the client will receive and what the value the firm will bring, and any real data on the internal costs of the firm of actually executing that mandate. Again, this is where Lean can support innovation. Professional service firms that bring in pricing changes without optimizing the underlying transactions typically see a reduction in their profitability. However, by visualizing and optimizing the underlying transactions using Lean and process improvement, firms can develop much more robust pricing models. So where do we suggest that professionals start, whether you're in law or any other type of organization? We would recommend you start with the idea that incremental change works. The complaint we hear most often from people working in professional service firms is that there is just never enough time. There's not enough time for work, and there's not enough time for improvement. Everyone is under too much pressure. So we like to use this very simple equation with the professionals we work with. The idea is that pressure, the pressure that you feel is generally a function of the volume of the work you have over the time you have available to do that work. So when your workload goes up, so does your pressure. In this type of situation, there are only two ways you can reduce the pressure you're under. You could reduce that workload, but that's not very likely and usually not really very desirable. The other alternative is to find more time. Now, there are only 24 hours in a day, and there's no way anyone wants to spend any more of them at the office. So we use Lean and this idea of making incremental changes to help professionals see that they can find more time. The changes that we advocate are not huge. With law firms, they're very traditional. They're very, very risk-averse. The same with a lot of accounting firms. Advocating really big changes is a non-starter. So we get people to focus on this idea of incremental change. When you can build a core group of people who are committed to change, and you start to develop and support this idea of incremental but continuous change, you can accomplish a great deal, even in additional change-averse industry, like a lot of the professions. So our message is this. It may seem like a waste of effort to come up with a way to shave only one minute off of a routine thing you do every day. But think about it. If that's something that you do five times a day, you saved yourself five minutes, but over the course of a week, that's 25 minutes, and if you work 48 weeks a year, that's 20 hours. If you multiply that across everyone in your organization who's doing that same routine little process, even if there are just five of you doing the same thing, you end up with 100 hours or two and a half weeks of time a year that could be dedicated to something else, all because you figured out how to shave one minute of time off the process. So I think the important message here is that we aren't talking about a total overhaul. We're talking about bite-sized incremental changes because those small improvements really do add up. We're all busy, but wouldn't it be great if you and your team could do two and a half weeks of extra value-adding, revenue-generating work without anyone actually having to put in more hours? That's the goal. We stress to professionals that every day in every matter there are time-consuming things that they do that don't add any value and that actually keep them from doing the work that they like to do that does add value and they can feel confident in charging for. So the goal in process improvement is to reduce those non-value-adding things. It's to find the wasted minutes. 
the write-offs, the irritations that are preventing professionals from getting to that value-adding work that requires their knowledge and skill, that work that they enjoy doing, and then to eliminate those things so they can use the time they used to waste for better value-adding tasks. Because we're talking about incremental change, it's critical that firms accept this idea of continuous improvement. So it's really important that small innovations are acted on and celebrated. Now, to build the culture of continuous improvement with professionals, we keep things really very simple. We've encountered serious resistance to typical lean language, so we've looked for ways to simplify it, or at least to present it without the Japanese terminology. We're not purists. We've had to adapt to our industry, which is law and very conservative. We focus on a few very key takeaways with our clients, getting lawyers to look at their practices through the lens of waste and value is the first big step to making this kind of continuous incremental change that supports larger innovations. The key element of lean that we focus on is the basic one of adding value and eliminating or at least reducing waste. Everything else that we discuss with professionals looking to innovate flow of information and work comes from this basic principle. You can do what you do better if you focus on adding value and eliminating waste. The obvious question then is, what is value? Defining value and waste can actually be a challenge for a lot of professionals. So if you're working with professionals, we suggest that you really focus on getting them to look at what they do from the client's perspective. And this is because clients define value. And for work to be valuable to a client, it has to meet three basic tests. It has to move that matter forward, so as to get it closer to the end state. The client has to want the work and be willing to pay for it. And the work has to be done right the very first time. Everything else is waste. It's a waste of time, of valuable human resources, of financial and technological resources that clients should not be asked to pay for. And the single greatest challenge for people is learning to recognize waste, to actually see it, because waste can be hard to see. For many of those professionals, it's just normal. It's just the way they do things. And we hear this all the time when we're working with clients. So if you know anything about lean, it shouldn't come as a great surprise that we find that one of the most powerful lean tools is lean's framework for categorizing waste, the downtime framework that you see on your screen. Defects over production, waiting, non-utilized talent, etc. Named and best remembered through that mnemonic downtime because lean has a lot of its origins in manufacturing and anytime your manufacturing is at a standstill, anytime it's in downtime mode is wasteful. So this framework helps people to recognize that many of the things that they consider as just being part of doing business or the normal are actually wasteful. Now we've been gathering examples of waste in all of these categories for many years now. And we share them with our clients during our workshops and get them to work in small teams to start identifying wastes in the categories that, that, that are the downtime categories within their own work and the work that other people deliver for them. It helps them to really see and it works effectively because the framework is simple to use. It can be used anywhere all of the time. You don't need fancy software or any advanced degree in statistics or any special training to use it, and you can start to use this framework right away. All that's required is a critical eye. Again, our message is very simple. Once you've learned to spot waste, you will never look at your own work the same way or at the work that others do for you in the same way. We also use DMAIC with our clients, and we, we've had this conversation with Mark before on why DMAIC versus the more typical liens, plan, do, check, act. And we use DMAIC because we find the five steps, particularly when they're framed, the way they're framed on the slide, really help to slow people down. Lawyers, for example, tend to jump very quickly to, uh, sorry, they tend to jump very quickly to solutions. They want to immediately solve the problem without really understanding what it is. So they need to start with what the client really wants and values, and that's why we've set up Define the way you see it on the screen. They really have to think, and it is a shift for lawyers to start thinking about work from that client perspective. If we start with plan, from plan to check act, we were losing that client focus. And we we're also losing a little on the measurement side. Law firms haven't traditionally collected a lot of data about how they do what they do, beyond some financials associated with the billable hour, maybe their disbursements and their expenses. 
So getting them to think about how they do the work they do in a separate step really allows them to see the wastes much more clearly. Now, this is the basic roadmap that we follow with our clients, and we suggest it will apply equally to you in your professional organizations. The really critical groundwork for continuous improvement is laid out in step two, creating that culture that supports incremental change and process improvement depends on developing a core group of people who understand the critical importance of adding value and identifying, evaluating, and eliminating waste within their realm of professional expertise. But not only there, also on the business and administrative side of operations that support the professionals in their work. In law firms and legal departments, we do this through our Lean Legal Full Day Bootcamp which we've started to expand to other professional groups. Once we've done a workshop with a core group, we offer a series of shorter fundamentals workshops, which is really important because it helps to, breed, to, to reach a broader group of people across the organization. The goal is to democratize training and make process improvement understood and accessible to everybody. Knowing a little bit about the reason for improvement and the language that's going to be used in particular, the notion of value and waste allows more people to participate meaningfully in projects, and it's critical for spreading the idea of continuous improvement and change throughout all levels of the organization. Only once we've accomplished that do we move on to actual projects. In our projects, we find process mapping to be one of the most valuable tools to help people visualize the work they do. Professionals of all kinds tend to work in silos rather than in broader collaborative teams. They often don't know what happens to a document or a matter when they're finished with it and pass it on to the next stage, so they may not see the waste. The example on the screen that you can see is the initial output of a process improvement project in a corporate services department in a major law firm. We were mapping exactly what is done each time the firm needs to incorporate a new company. And the goal here was to find ways to reduce lawyer time, to better allocate some work uh, across the paralegals and the corporate clerks, and to reduce the time and the overall cost of incorporating the new company. The goal was really um, to respond to some pressure from clients. This work is very routine and it's repetitive. And there is a definite limit to what external clients are willing to pay for this piece of the puzzle. So they had to find ways to produce it more quickly and more accurately. The thing is, to get professionals to consider doing something as effort-intensive as process mapping, you have to get them past one of what we find is the first pitfalls that we encounter bringing lean thinking into professional service firms. What is that pitfall? Put simply, getting buy-in for business management strategies like lean, things that have been really successful in other industries. That can be a huge challenge in the professional service and knowledge-based frame. There's a perception among many people in the industry, specifically law, that the work is bespoke. It's highly and creative. It's an art that doesn't include in many processes. Our approach is that anything that happens within, within the heads of the lawyers can be improved. No, outside the heads of the lawyers. Sorry. <laughs> lawyers, yeah, what lawyer? what's inside their heads can't be improved, to be sure. Everything that's outside their heads can be improved. And we've designed our roadmap to build in the buy-in that we're going to need as we go along. That's why we give the core group of interested people the essential skills, give, get them thinking about their work differently and accepting that there are indeed root, routine elements to what they do every day. And that they can use processes, that they do use processes, broken as they might be, and have them start focusing on ideas of value and waste. Amongst a naturally skeptical group like lawyers, we focus on the incremental element rather than end-to-end -end broad change. We start with processes that touch the lawyers to make it easier or less costly for them to do their work, but without actually touching processes that dictate how they do what they do. We want to get them to change their behavior but in a way that is incremental and doesn't go to the core of what they do, the art that they practice. Now, in many firms, we start on the business and administrative side, something that you might want to consider in your own professions. Look at the business and administrative processes that support your professionals in doing what they do. Things like 
opening files, disbursements, expense claims, dealing with conflicts checking, that's obviously important in law, not so in, in necessarily in other uh, organizations, or, or billing. We talked earlier about the problem of mindset, and it is a problem improvement teams do have to overcome. We've had to work hard with teams to get them from that, no, we can't do that because, to the yes, we could do that if mentality. But getting them to visualize the waste, to quantify it with some basic metrics on how long a step takes and how much rework there is and how many corrections are required, that is critical to getting them to look harder for solutions. But all of the problems, of all of the problems that we run into, the biggest by far is the question of time. The legal industry, like many others, is under huge pressure and we don't take the time or even have the time to think about what it is we are doing, we're simply too busy just doing. And it doesn't help that in law, as with many professions, taking time away from anything remotely connected to billing is really hard to justify. Yeah, it takes, it takes a lot of time to work on an improvement project and it takes time and effort to implement the changes, even incremental ones. And a lot of professional service firms fall down at this stage. And the root cause of our implementation problem is the way that work is billed. When you're valued only by the amount of time you spend on something, and when more time means more money, you're going to resist anything that reduces your time. Inevitably, when we're doing a project or talking to firms about a project, somebody is going to object to streamlining on the premise that they'll make less money. It's the elephant in the room. They're all thinking, sure, 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 but if I get more efficient, I'll bill fewer hours. That's not what we're talking about. We want lawyers to continue billing, whether they're using flat fees or the traditional hourly rate model, but we want them to bill more for value and less, or not at all, for all the time they spend correcting errors and all the other sources of waste and non-value adding work that is present in knowledge work and professional service work. We want them to bill less on the stuff clients don't want to pay for and that ends up being written off. Most, uh, <coughs> most professionals will agree that every day, in every matter, there are time-consuming things that, that can't or at least shouldn't be billed to clients. And these often keep uh, the professionals, lawyers included, from working on other things that A, they like to do, and B, that they can and should be billing for. We get them to focus on process improvement as a way to reduce the inevitable write-offs that they currently are having to do. We stress that by eliminating waste, and increasing efficiency by optimizing the underlying processes, they will have more time to concentrate on value-adding work. We also work with organizations on how they can create incentives for improvement work. Because lawyers' compensation is based on their billable hours, the time billed directly to clients, there really isn't a tremendous amount of incentive to spend time on non-billable work like improvement projects. So getting your colleagues to invest their valuable time on something that isn't immediately billable, while a challenge is something that's very important and is one of the reasons why, if not done properly, implementation can be so difficult. You can't teach people the tools to drive innovation and expect them to get it right the first time, particularly if they're in a bill-by-the-hour environment. The pressure to bill is just too great. You have to create an environment where thinking time, time dedicated to work on improvement, is not only encouraged, but in fact is made mandatory. So if you're looking at any of this, we would suggest that you consider a few things, like dedicating a fixed time, say two hours a week, every week, where a process improvement team that is engaged in a project is expected to do nothing except work on their projects. Provide them with hand hands-on guidance, and facilitate implementation sessions to help keep your professionals on track. Ask them what roadblocks they have come into, what help they need. If you're going to have a culture of continuous improvement, then the discussion of change has to become routine. It has to become part of the very fabric of your organization. Now, it might not be possible to have daily stand-ups like is common increasingly in the healthcare sector, but you should aim to do something like that, a stand-up, a weekly meeting, at, sorry, a meeting at least weekly. Make sure that innovation is on the agenda for every one of your team meetings. Each of these ideas requires a serious commitment from management to ensure that people are allowed time off from their billable work 
and that they're actually taking the time that they have been asked to devote. One of our clients is in the process of pulling a whole number of innovations together based on this lean foundation. So we thought we'd spend the last few minutes talking about how they're doing it and what their goals are. Stuart McKelvey is a mid-sized Canadian firm with offices across four provinces. And they've done something that most firms haven't done, but is, is really has really worked very, very well for them. They've created what they call their practice, what is called a practice innovation partner. And that partner is busy building a whole new model for service delivery across the firm. He started with some of their more commoditized practices where there was a lot of pressure to reduce fees, to be able to charge flat fees for their clients. And he's using a combination of lean, agile, and legal project management to manage matters in those practice areas much more efficiently. So they can deliver legal services faster and at less cost to the firm and to the clients, but maintaining that very, very high quality that they're known for. So if you look across the top of the slide, you can see some of the Kanban boards that they've got set up for two of their practice groups. And the lawyers in these practice groups meet here once a week for stand-ups. Stand-ups, like David said, are common in a lot of industries. In law, they are incredibly rare. Most practice groups never have or rarely have even a weekly meeting to talk about where things stand across their organization. So this, these people are doing weekly meetings in front of their Kanban boards. The bottom one shows another part of their war room, as they call it, with a really large Kanban board that they're using to manage process improvement and innovation projects. Stuart McKelvey is essentially following that roadmap you saw a couple of slides back. So they started by creating a core group of lawyers and administrators who understand some of the basic lean and agile tools. They're spreading that through the firm using a series of videos we created for them so that more people understand the basics of lean, so that more people understand why they're trying to change and the need for change, and that they have a greater group of people who feel, com who feel comfortable and competent participating in improvement projects. Their next step was to start optimizing some of the firm's legal and business and administrative processes. And they've done it using their Kanban boards and, and doing some other process improvement projects. In fact, now they have a number of projects underway. And we spent a whole week there recently working on a project that they use to, we actually were doing process mapping on a process they use to reduce the time and cost of a back office process. They actually do 20 or more times a day. So they have a very high demand rate. And we also got to see firsthand how they're adapting Kanban and Scrum, including using daily stand-ups, as Karen mentioned, to manage a huge, complicated transaction on a very tight timeline. The lawyers involved actually love it. Now, each of Stuart McKelvey's projects moves them closer to the culture of continuous improvement that they believe will make them more competitive and distinguish them from their competition. They're building on experience, adding new innovations as they go, creating new ways for clients to interact with the firm, and now, starting, only just now, starting to layer on the project management piece. This is a firm using lean and process optimization to create a solid foundation for all of their other initiatives. They're finding their own way to adapt and adopt lean. Sure, we've helped them along the way, but they've figured out how to use it in a way that makes sense for them as professionals. And if lawyers can do it in an industry that is bound by tradition, that is staid and hugely conservative, you absolutely can also. So with that, we come to the end of this presentation. We thank everybody who has joined us this afternoon, and we have some time now for questions. So please dive in and submit your questions to Mark as the moderator. Thanks, David. Thanks, Karen, uh, both of you, for uh, the presentation today. We'll cover a few logistical or just a few announcements while uh, more questions are coming in, if you can uh, advance that for us, please. Um, I want to invite you, if you enjoyed today's webinar, go check out our webinars on demand page. If you go to kinexus.com under the Learn menu, you'll see where you can access webinars on demand, or there's a link to that on our main page at kinexus.com slash webinars. A couple years worth of really varied um, content there, helpful in, uh, in different ways, so I encourage you um, to check that out. Our next webinar is going to be uh, June 28th, actually. We do have the date finalized, and registration will be open soon. Um, Dr. Mark Jabin is going to be doing a presentation based on the neuroscience 
underlying change. So topics such as um, resistance to change or uh, Mark is going to be actually building on some of the things Greg Jacobson and I talked about in a recent webinar on creating buy-in for change and and why Mark um, you know, respectfully thinks that's not the right way to look at it. So I think it's going to be a really thought-provoking, interesting webinar, um, June 28th. So check that out. Again, kinexus.com slash webinars. You'll probably also get email announcements about that. And we will jump into Q&A. would invite you um, to find Karen and David on Twitter via email, their website, gimbalcanada.com. And you can see also our Kinexus websites and social media. So there's one question that, that came in. You, you sort of, I think, explained some of the dynamics with lawyer pay. But there's a question about your mapping example. And there's a parallel to healthcare of trying to help have uh, the work being done at the right level, having nurses doing nurse work, doctor doing doctor work. But does that shift of work from physicians to paralegals, can you, can you elaborate on how that affects lawyer pay? Um, you know, there are some doctors, it's still unusual, who have flat salaries instead of being paid for their activity. Are there lawyers with flat salaries? Or, you know, if not, do you think that's part of what might happen in the future? So can you sort of elaborate on some of that compensation dynamic? Okay, so compensation is a huge area. I, I can't speak to how uh, it works on the medical side, but certainly in law, generally speaking, uh, everybody below the level of partner is paid as, uh, as a salary and billed out to clients at varying rates. So clients, for example, might pay, let's, we'll just make something up. Clients might be paying $400 an hour to have a lawyer work on it, a senior lawyer in some jurisdictions or in somewhere like New York, $400 for the most junior lawyer. Um, but they might only be paying $100 an hour to have a paralegal do some of the work. So uh, the salaried employees, it doesn't really matter. It, moving work from a salaried employee at the lawyer level down to the paralegal level isn't going to impact their pay at all because they're going to make the same amount, but the client is going to be charged less. So it has an impact on how much money the firm brings in. But if the firm is able to move work down a level to paralegals, build a client for less and have more work because there's there's there, while demand is flat in, in good ticking over firms, there's still plenty of work for people to go around. So they could have the lawyers working on more high value work or doing really important things like business development, which they all claim they never have time to do. And they could have the lower value work going down to a level where the, where the client is willing to pay for it. And that's really the key. The lawyers are often not willing to pay anymore for the higher level no, work. The lawyers, the clients. Sorry, the clients not willing to pay anymore for, for, say, a junior level associate to do some of the work. The issue, Mark, is that increasingly uh, clients are putting pressure on law firms not to staff their files with people who are terribly junior because those juniors aren't adding a huge amount of value. So what has been happening, and it has had an impact on lawyer compensation, is uh, increasing pressure from clients has led to an increasing number of write-offs. And when you write off um, otherwise billable uh, charges, uh, it has an impact on your overall um, equity position as a partner yeah, because, because there is, there, you're, you're bringing in less money. Your clients are um, uh, negotiating the amounts that you're, that you're billing them. And every time there's a write-off, it comes directly off your annual pool of revenues that you've brought into the firm. So, in fact, it sounds counterintuitive. If you can push work down to the right level and have it done by paralegals or clerks at a rate which uh, clients are willing to pay for, not only will you better please your client and hopefully ensure that they bring more work to you, they are going to settle their bills with you with, with less negotiation, and therefore you will capture, as a partner, you will capture a greater amount. Your realization rate will go up. Mm -hmm. If your realization rate goes up, so too, is your, so too does your overall um, compensation. Mm -hmm. When you talk about the dynamic, this is a really common challenge across different industries. People say, you know, we don't have time to improve. And the strategy of starting small is a great way of uh, addressing that, making time for small improvements. Do you, do you get, how do you frame the discussion if people push back and say, well, but you know, incremental imp improvement 
won't make enough of a difference. Yeah, yeah, we could make time for small improvements, but it doesn't really matter. Um, have you been able to convince people to um, to, to get started, or you can can you maybe you know share some experience about having that discussion? Sure. Um, I think there are a couple of things. Um, we're quick to remind uh, lawyers, at least, uh, who are very familiar with the old paradigm if you have to spend money to, to make money, that investment paradigm, we tell them they have to spend time to find time. Uh, the idea of working small, I understand. Yeah, there's a pushback. Like, what's the point in, in, in changing my behavior in some tiny little way? How is that going to aggregate? Well, I'm going to take it a little more macro, which is a bit sort of... Um, counterintuitive, and then I'm going to come back to a, the, the basic principle from Karen's slide earlier. But on the more macro level, the critical message to lawyers and other professionals is don't start by looking to optimize an entire process. Be more incremental in that you're going to perhaps do um, a value stream map, the, the uh, 30,000 foot view rather than a process map to start with. And, and using the metrics that you do have available to you or which you set about collecting once you realize there's valuable data that you haven't a clue about, um, you can identify some of the troubling areas, the big process blocks in a transaction that might encompass a thousand steps and take six months to accomplish. Our suggestion is that you don't look at don't think about and don't get bogged down in the notion that you have to optimize all 1,000 steps in one go, but rather look at the process from a slightly higher, more strategic level. Figure out where the greatest um, focus of pain, inefficiency, and frustration as experienced by and expressed by the people conducting the work and the clients of the work. And here, remember, client, of course, can be internal to the law firm and not just the end client, and then zero in on those areas, forgetting about the rest for now. So in that sense, it's incremental and not boiling the ocean. Mm -hmm. But I want to come back and say, even if it is something so simple as reducing the number of steps it takes you to travel from your desk to the high-speed printer, from 60 yards to three yards, has a significant impact on the efficiency with which you as a paralegal or as a partner can can execute your work. Yeah. And those small changes add up really quickly. Karen, yeah. you want to say something? Yeah, I was just going to jump in and say that, that one. I mean, printers are a huge issue, but but you really, lawyers will balk at them. And they'll say, oh, you know what? I'm not going to bother. With, why do we need to bother with another printer? It's crazy. It's just a few steps. But when they actually see it and they actually figure out how far that paralegal has to travel or how far they're actually traveling every day, it, it becomes quite shocking to them. And for us, one of the key things has been visualizing where the waste is, even these small amounts of waste, because a lot of things that, that happen in a large organization happen over and over and over and over and over again. So this walking 60 yards versus walking three yards is a good example. We have one firm where the paralegals had to walk 60 yards to a printer, put paper in, walk back, turn their printer on from their desk, print the document, walk back to collect it. In the meantime, other people's documents could have printed on their special paper. But they were making that 120-yard trip 50 times a day. So the amount of waste involved when the lawyers realized, because lawyers were just handing the document off to the paralegals and not caring how long it took to get from one spot to another, not caring how much waste went into actually producing the version that the lawyers saw, when they realized it was 50 times a day walking 120 yards and the amount of time that that paralegal wasted, they got a new printer almost instantly. Yeah, there were two things that happened. They went, they went, they, uh, the business case for getting a new printer and having it located 15 feet away, three yards, uh, five yards away was actually very, very easy to make. And secondly, there was a, an increasing drive to go paperless on that piece of the transaction. And again, that is something that took place, you know, 30 seconds, but was happening 50 times a day and in, in a type of transaction that was happening 30 to 45 times a month. So a tiny change adds up really quickly, and, and, and it became a very obvious um, uh, business case. As part of that, uh, it, it, the visualization is waste walks, and I'm sure you've discussed it in other um, of your webinars on Kinexus, so we won't go into it now, but having people actually see the waste by walking the waste yeah. has been very, very helpful. Well, great. Well, Karen and David, it's uh, the top of the hour, so um, we'll go ahead and wrap up. But 
Uh, once again, thank you so much for sharing lessons from the legal profession. Hopefully there was uh, you know, ideas helpful there if we had attendees from uh, architecture and, and healthcare and other settings. A lot of what you described um, yeah, I think was very familiar for people, so maybe it's reassuring to hear. Uh, or uh, you know, there, there's ideas that um, you know, people can take um, to help solve those familiar problems and challenges that you talked about today. Um, so thanks to everybody for uh, attending. Again, I invite you to reach out to Karen and David through uh, Twitter or email or their website. And we hope to see you on the next webinar, June 28th. Thanks again. Thank you, Mark. As always, a pleasure.